Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. In this episode, a recording from the 2014 Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference, which was held at NUI Maynooth. The conference, now in its fourth year, was generously supported by the UCD School of History and Archives, UCD Research, Marsh's Library, Graduate Studies at NUI Maynooth, and the Department of History at NUI Maynooth. This podcast features a paper by Geoffrey Cox of University College Dublin. His paper was entitled, If You Build It, Will They Come? Parish Churches, the State and Religious Change, circa 1560 to 1630, a case study of County Kildare. The parish church was the centre of pastoral care and spiritual expression in the community it served. It was the place where the community gathered to celebrate religious services, receive religious instruction, and mark important milestones such as baptisms and funerals. In this regard, the function of the church building had changed little from the medieval to the early modern period. The parish church itself, however, held added significance beyond its role as a conduit for religious expression. The work of both historians and archaeologists has revealed a considerable period of church building and re-edification during the late 15th century within and along the borders of County Kildare. Such building programs suggest that the re-edification or renovation of parish churches was inspired by a vigorous popular piety. Endowments, repairs, stained glass windows, vessels for the celebration of the Mass, and church furnishings were bestowed upon the local parish churches by even modest patrons, while more prominent gentry were able to make greater contributions commensurate with their social status. In sharp contrast with this picture of the parish churches, by 1630, 81% of parish churches in County Kildare were in some state of disrepair, 59% of which were wholly ruined. On the one hand, the seeming abandonment of churches that previously embodied physical expressions of piety by local families is a poignant indication of a shift in the relationship between the community and the parish church. On the other hand, The widespread deterioration of church fabric was rightly identified by ecclesiastical and state leaders as a significant obstacle to the established church's mission to inculcate conformity at a local level. Although state officials bemoaned the condition of church buildings, measures to secure their re-edification met with only limited success between 1560 and 1630. This paper will examine the reasons reported in state correspondence for the prolonged deterioration of the parish churches and assess why attempts to encourage re-edification garnered so little community support. References to the poor repair of church buildings in Ireland were persistent through the reign of Elizabeth. As early as April 1566, Lord Deputy Sidney noted that the churches and chancels in Ireland were universally in ruin and some wholly down. Proposed legislation for Ireland in 1567 and 1569 recommended that an act for the repair of churches be introduced, but continued complaints of decay suggest that these efforts met with little success. In 1578, the Privy Council called upon Lord Justice Drury to further efforts for the re-edification of churches and cathedrals. This was reiterated on a letter of 22nd February 1578-79, which directed that the decayed churches and the chancels now must be repaired, without which both the people and the minister shall be unable to remain there at times of divine services. The Privy Council blamed the poor state of churches on, quote, contempt of religion and considered it a foundation of the evils 
in that realm. A year later, the want of churches featured on a list of evils which annoyed the English pale. And by 1587, reports were still circulated that all the churches were in great decay. Although these accounts are more generally concerned with the entire island, they do offer a valuable insight into reasons why the church fabric of County Kildare deteriorated substantially by 1630. Furthermore, the frequency with which the deterioration of church fabric features as a chief concern in correspondence in the 1570s and 1580s suggests that the situation had become increasingly acute. By 1600, the decay of churches was not only an ongoing concern, but it is clear that any efforts to remedy the decay had made little progress. While the state papers have been criticised as a source for the history of the Reformations in Ireland, behind the bias and rhetorical nature of these tracts, a number of important trends can be seen to emerge. One underlying cause presented for the decay of church fabric was an alleged vestige of godlessness and moral or cultural depravity. This is perhaps best illustrated in Edmund Tremaine's Causes Why Ireland Is Not Reformed. In this tract, he explains that in Ireland, quote, religion hath no place. Men have no fear nor love of God. They regard neither faith nor oath. They murder, ravish, spoil, burn, commit whoredom, break wedlock, change wives without grudge of conscience. Tremaine continues to explain that this godlessness and depravity is the fundamental cause of the disrepair of churches in Ireland, saying, quote, They have no regard of churches, not of the ministers of them, and suffer the churches so to decay, as in the most part of them the priest hath no place to stand in for defense of the weather. There is no charitable works done. Rather, they suffer the good works of their forefathers to decay as is seen by diverse buildings. In many ways, Tremaine's report is entirely conventional in that it fused apparent irreligion and immorality with racial or national inferiority. Rather than a cause, however, it is entirely possible that what Tremaine observed was popular detachment from the parish churches. Given the evidence of the ways in which lay piety manifested itself through church building programs, and ornamentation a century earlier, it would seem reasonable to suggest that lay patronage was fostered by a sense of spiritual attachment to the parish church. Therefore, the willingness of the local population to, quote, as Tremaine quoted, suffer the good works of their forefathers to decay, may evidence a shift in spiritual loyalties away from the traditional parish church and its function as the local embodiment of the established church. While Tremaine's tract lacks critical awareness as to the cause of decay, a report by Sydney in 1566 more perceptively affirmed the role of lay interests in maintaining the church fabric. Sydney complained that appropriated benefices granted by the Crown without stipulation for adequate provisions for maintenance of church and clergy were the chief cause of deterioration. To rectify this, he commissioned the bishops of Dublin, Armagh, and Meath to compile a list of leaseholders who he identified as a chief cause of both the low number and poor quality of clergy, as well as the decay of church fabric. A petition of Michael Fitzwilliam further criticised lay appropriators in 1571. 
He reported that the lamentable ignorance of the inhabitants of Ireland, in particular leaseholders of parsonages previously appropriated to monastic houses, neither build the churches nor keep sufficient ministers to serve the cure. As surveyor of the Queen's inheritance in Ireland, he requested authorization from the Privy Council for the Lord Deputy and Lord Chancellor to compel impropriators to maintain the churches attached to parsonages that they held in lease. Indeed, Fitzwilliam had correctly understood the role of lay impropriators in the deterioration of church fabric. County Kildare, in particular, was susceptible to the effects of impropriations. Seventy-three rectories were appropriated to monasteries prior to their dissolution. The number of rectories appropriated to these religious bodies account for nearly all of the parishes of County Kildare. The suppression of the monastic of the monasteries and generous leases, leases under which they were granted to lay impropriators subsequently left the majority of rectoral tithes outside church control. Traditionally, the holders of this income were responsible for the repair of parts of the parish church. When under the control of religious institutions, there was some assurance that the church fabric was in at least a functional state of repair. A large proportion of lay appropriators, however, seemingly felt no such ob- obligation to support the state church. This deprived the established church of significant income and ultimately left the repair of the church to be covered by the small tithes of the vicarage rather than the larger rectoral tithes. Crucially, a number of these appropriators who had neglected to repair the churches were not only Catholics, but also cathedral bodies, Protestants such as Sir William Parsons, and even the Lord Deputy and Bishop Pillsworth's own son. Aside from impropriations, a number of churches in severe disrepair were a casualty of the rebellion of rebellion and warfare that plagued the latter years of Elizabeth's reign. In the aftermath of Shane O'Neill's rebellion in Ulster, the church fabric there suffered severe casualties. In a letter elevating Thomas Lancaster, the former Edwardine Bishop of Kildare, to the See of Armagh in 1568, the Queen charged him with the, quote, repairing of their churches, which we hear say, to be in such lamentable ruin by the late rebellion in those parts. The churches were reportedly so afflicted that, quote, in some places there are scantly remaineth knowledge of the place where the churches were built, while many of those churches that survived, at least somewhat intact, were reportedly used by, quote, the enemies as coverture for wild beasts. Bishop Pillsworth's certificate of the Diocese of Kildare to the 1622 commissioners reveals the lasting impact warfare and rebellion had upon the church fabric. Nearly two decades after the Nine Years' War, a number of churches were still ruined, having, quote, been pulled down in the time of rebellion and never since edified. Of these, Pillsworth recommended only one for relocation and re-edification. This suggests that, despite one Protestant community of sufficient size to justify the maintenance of a parish church, in this one instance, damage to the church fabric caused by warfare was not always easily remedied. County Kildare's position on the edge of royal authority in Ireland would have magnified these risks. For example, Kildare Town was largely destroyed by fire in 1540 during a raid by the O'Connors. Although the cathedral survived mostly intact, most of the Franciscan friary was burnt and the local Carmelite house was destroyed. Though spared in 1540, the cathedral was substantially damaged during the Nine Years' War. 
1622, Pillsworth reported that the roof of the nave was still altogether ruinous as a result of the last wars. Although the dean and chapter had repaired the chancel and choir of the cathedral, the parishioners were so poor that they were unable to repair the same without the extraordinary help and furtherance of the king. End quote. Raymond Gillespie has suggested that, prior to the removal of relics from St. Bridget's in 1542, the spiritual consequences that accompanied acts of sacrilege may have discouraged attacks on the cathedral. By the outbreak of the Nine Years' War, no such celestial deterrent survived to preserve the cathedral church. As such, the destruction of St. Bridget's may reflect the low esteem afforded to the spiritual authority of the established church. Concerns raised in state correspondence demonstrate that, by the close of the 16th century, the Dublin administration was aware of these key factors that contributed to a significant deterioration of the parish churches. It is also clear from 17th century sources that any efforts by Elizabethan officials to address the causes of decay yielded little long-term relief. However, these sources also reveal that factors such as the sequestration of income from the parish churches by lay appropriators and the financial deprivation of the institutional church were more difficult to overcome than perhaps recognized during the reign of Elizabeth. The state was also unable to successfully address incidental causes of deterioration. Certainly, the Nine Years' War and earlier conflicts tied to the extension of Tudor rule contributed to the decay of the church fabric. It is also impossible to determine to what extent the parish churches were in repair prior to 1558. In this regard, Henry Jeffrey's argument that the Reformations interrupted, quote, an ongoing but incomplete program of renewal of church fabric suggests that while a number of parish churches were rebuilt or repaired in the 15th century, it cannot be assumed that the churches in Ireland were universally affected. Significantly, while Kildare's churches were prone to decay prior to the Reformations, that deterioration was left effectively unaddressed marks a significant break with late medieval trends. Analysts recorded that Kildare Cathedral was burnt in the years 1050, 1067, 1138, and 1150, and plundered by Dermot O'Brien in 1136. It is not surprising that upon the appointment of Bishop Ralph de Bristol in, 13, or, sorry, in 1223, he found his cathedral in ruin, though in contrast with Bishop Pillsworth's comments in 1622, he secured community support for re-edification. During the Episcopate of Edmund Lane from 1482 to 1513, further efforts were taken to repair and ornament the cathedral. It would seem that, despite continued threats to the church fabric, earlier bishops found means to secure the repair of the cathedral church. It is unlikely that parish churches were spared from a similar fate, but these also found popular support for repairs and reornamentation in the century prior to the Reformations. Crucially, this popular commitment to amending damage caused by warfare compensated for the vulnerability of the church fabric in County Kildare. That no such equal concern transpired between 1560 and 1630 strongly suggests that the established church did not command a similar allegiance. It was not until 1871 that efforts were made to repair the entirety of St. Bridget's Cathedral. 
The widespread decay <clears throat> of church fabric in County Kildare was not unique within Ireland, and yet reports sent to court in the 16th and 17th century suggest that any official action was unsuccessful at finding real solutions. In 1603-1604, Sir John Davies wrote to Cecil to describe the widespread abuses within the Irish church, and that, as a result, quote, the churches are ruined and fallen down to the ground in all parts of the kingdom. There is no divine service, no christening of children, no receiving of the sacrament, no Christian meeting or assembly, no, not once in a year. In a word, no more demonstration of religion than amongst Tartars are cannibals. Davies' assessment of Irish religiosity is undoubtedly embellished and, like Edmund Tremaine all those years prior, emphasized the irreligious and inferior character of the Irish. More importantly, however, while Davies' statement evidences little critical awareness of the problems facing the church fabric, the poor repair of the churches is not identified as the result of Irish religious and immoral behavior, but rather the cause. This is further revealed in a second letter written to Cecil on 19th of April, 1604, where he asserts that, quote, if the churches were builded again, for they are all ruined in every place that I have seen, and divine service was set in them, the greater part of the common people would presently and voluntarily come to church. To what extent Davies reports created an awareness of the problems facing the church uh, at court is uncertain, although his letter of 20th February seems to have solicited no timely response from Cecil. State correspondence suggests that the government and the court were aware over this period of direct obstacles to repairing the parish churches, but also failed to fully appreciate the cause of the problem. Prior to the 1622 commission, the deterioration of church fabric was misinterpreted as irreligious behavior and Irish savagery. As such, the government consistently viewed the repair of the parish churches as a challenge to widespread religious conformity, and any serious efforts to repair the church fabric centered on financial solutions. However, as the poor outcomes of the 1609 recognances in County Kildare, for example, demonstrate, the provision of capital for repairs yielded few real improvements and were, for the most part, dependent upon the disposition of the lay appropriator. Money, it would seem, was not the real issue. The Church of Tully, for example, was in an advanced state of disrepair in 1622, despite the sizable rectorial value of £100 per annum. Likewise, the tithes of Old Connell Rectory amounted to £100 per annum, but the chancel remained unroofed. While these valuations may have been inaccurate, and the yields may have been far less, these rectories were on par with some of the best in the pale. Despite the 1622's commissioner's suggestion that legal means be employed to enjoin leaseholders to contribute, uh, it was once, once more again suggested that recognizances should be taken instead. In 1623, upon the recommendation of the commissioners, James I ordered that, concerning the parish churches ruined and decayed in want of repair, we command and direct that all bonds heretofore of the parishioners for the new building or repairing of churches be looked upon and presently put in suit for the speeding of so good a work. Moreover, the state failed to recognize the severe financial limitations of dioceses in securing the repair of the churches themselves. 
1622 Commission recommended that responsibility for the repair of the cathedrals be placed on the cathedral bodies and bishops themselves. In the case of Kildare, this recommendation outright ignored the pleas of Bishop Pillsworth uh, that such re-edification was unrealistic. Critically, it was the failure of the government to appreciate the root cause of deterioration that rendered their efforts largely ineffectual. Undoubtedly, parish churches and the provision of a pastoral ministry was vital to extending the Reformation to local communities. However, the assumption that if churches were built, the people would come to service and conformity would follow failed to distinguish causes from consequences. The provision of financial or material means for rebuilding the parish churches had a limited impact in part because it was never the real problem. Given the way lay piety had manifested itself through building works in the late 15th century, the ability of the pre-Reformation church to inspire devotion motivated the laity to maintain the fabric. In contrast, the unwillingness of the laity to contribute to the maintenance of the church despite financial means strongly suggests a popular detachment from the parish church by the 17th century. Thank you.